sang in a mighty chorus. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Good morning, church. Man, I'm so glad that you guys are here today. Man, I missed you guys last week being here. I know I heard uh, Kale did a great job. We listened to the sermon on the way home as well. Uh, I know he great, uh, gave you some good points as he continued to study through Revelation. We're here in the fifth week of the Reveal series, and uh, I hope that you're enjoying this as much as I am, discovering how we're called to live in a very chaotic world uh, to give God glory in all that we do and we say. But what a joy it is to be here today to celebrate our risen Savior, the one who sits on the throne in heaven, the one who promises peace and grace and mercy for all of us. And we celebrate his name today in song. We'll dig into the Word of God here in a minute to see how we're called to live, but also to encourage each other on the journey as uh, we interact with one another. We want to say a welcome to the guests that we have here today. Thanks for joining us, being a part of Crosspoint this morning. We hope that you've seen Jesus Christ in our midst. And of course, if you're looking for a church home, man, we'd love for you to think about Crosspoint being your place to bring your family uh, to spiritually raise them. We'd love for you to join us in helping share that message that is Jesus Christ, not only here in Grand Prairie, but around the world, to tell the world that he is our hope and he can truly make all things new in life. This morning, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 12, and I hope you've got your Bibles. We'll turn with me there. We're going to look at several texts, and all of those will be on the screen as we look through all of the, the chapters that were assigned for today. Uh, again, I want to remind us, first of all, that remember Revelation is all symbolic. And so as John writes this letter to the first century church, we're unpacking it for us today in our culture, and it doesn't change the meaning at all. John wants us to know that we are a loved people. That God has sent his son for us and that Satan is defeated. We know that. Uh, and so as we dig into his word this morning, we'll be reminded of that in some scary text uh, that folks have tried to unpack and unravel over the uh, past many years and will no doubt continue uh, to do so. Your homework for next week is going to be chapters 19 and 20, and so I hope you'll read those this week as we prepare for uh, a session together again in Revelation next week. One thing I want to uh, tell you that as I got, got ready for today's lesson, I thought of a story that seemed applicable to today's message. Uh, when we first bought our first house in Ponca City, Oklahoma, so many years ago, uh, it, it cost us a whopping $49,000, but it was a great starter home. And uh, we had a, a weekend. I was a youth minister, of course, at the church there. Uh, and my youngest brother, his family, had come up to visit along with my mom. Uh, I was a young uh, man trying to learn my way around the grill, and so I had purchased a charcoal grill, not, not a, uh, a gas-operated grill, uh, and had my duties at church, and so Sunday went off without a hitch. We got home. They needed to get back on the road because it was about a six-hour drive. 
Uh, and so uh, the ladies got into the kitchen and got everything going there. And my brother and I went out to the grill. I got it fired up, waited a little while for those coals to get just the right color, and then threw the chicken on there uh, to grill. And it began uh, grilling. We were talking. Everything looked great. Pulled the chicken off the grill. We sat down to eat, had some conversation together, uh, and quickly uh, wolfed down lunch. And then they got on the road and headed out. Only about 10 minutes later, the car pulled back into our driveway. Well, it seems that they had gotten just out of town, and they began to throw up. I know it's a gruesome story to start on a Sunday morning, but there you have it. They came inside, and they got to feeling a little bit better, grabbed as many Walmart bags as they could, and got back on the road. See, it seems like uh, I had not gotten the chicken all the way done, and they had partaken in some of that chicken. Now, what's the point of the story? There is a point to the story, believe me. This is how Satan operates, church. He makes everything look great on the outside. He makes it look so appetizing, so healthy, so inviting. And then when we partake, we find out that it's poison in the middle. That that after we begin to dig in, we discover that it's not everything that we thought that it would be. And as we read through our text today, John is going to pull back the curtain on the evil, on the distraction that Satan tries to make for us in the world. He's going to pull that curtain back and reveal the darkness that is in the world. Because Satan is alive, and he is trying to distract us from our relationship with Jesus Christ. He's going to do whatever it takes to get your eyes off Jesus Christ and onto something else. And so many times in our life, we become very distracted with the life around us. We become so enamored with whatever he's dangling in front of us that our, our sight moves away from Jesus Christ and onto whatever he's presenting to us. And sometimes we're super distracted. Sometimes those things are disguised so they don't look like They really are. Sometimes in our own life as Christians, we we become comfortable. We become kind of happy with the way things are. We we kind of act like everything is just okay. And sometimes that's the way we would like our faith to be, too. Sometimes on a Sunday morning, we roll in here and we we want to grab a, a cup of coffee and kick back. We want to sing all of our favorite songs and we're trusting that the sermon's going to be really short today. We're going to get out sooner than we thought and be the first in line at the restaurant. And that's the way that we kind of think about sometimes what our faith looks like. We'd like our faith to be easy. But the truth is, there's more to the story than that for a Christ follower. There's so much more at stake, church, than many times what we give credit to. A.W. Tozer once said, The world is not a playground, but a battlefield. We are not here to frolic. We are here to fight. And we as the church, the representatives of Jesus Christ on this earth, we are called to get in the fight. We are called to be aware of what Satan is doing in the world and to focus our eyes on Jesus and not to give Satan one day of our life. We're called to to lean into the story of Jesus and let the world know around us that he will make all things new, that he is indeed our only hope for the future. 
And so this morning, we're going to look at some text where John tries to tell the church, hey, this is what Satan is all about. This is where he's coming from, and these are the things that he does in life to get you distracted from your life with Christ. And so let's dig right into our text this morning, chapter 12 and verse 1. John says, Then I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. I saw a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon beneath her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant, and she cried out because of her labor pains and agony of giving birth. Then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and ten horns with seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky, and he threw them to the earth. He stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. She gave birth to a son who was to rule all nations with an iron rod, and her child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God and to his throne. Now, I want to remind us, too, that all of Revelation, if you'll remember, is symbolic. And so here in our reading this morning so far, the baby represents Jesus Christ. The big red dragon, which we think we're in Lord of the Rings now maybe, but the big red dragon is actually Satan. We Remember, we're, we're looking at this picture and answering this overall question for each and every one of us, and it's this. How do I remain a faithful follower of Jesus Christ who is ready for his return? That's the kind of disciple that we want to be. That's the kind of follower of Jesus Christ that we want to exhibit in our own life, our actions, and our words. Let the world know around us that we have no doubt who is our hope and where we're headed when we're done with this life. It's interesting as we continue to read in verse 7. John says, Then there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels, and the dragon lost the battle. And he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all of his angels. And John wants to let us know what the theme is at the front end of the reading that we're going to do today because we may get lost in some things that are going to be mentioned. But the theme is the dragon is defeated. Satan is done. He's, he's had his last, his last moment, if you will. He's done with what his plan would be, and he has a very short window to make everything happen that he wants to happen. And as we continue to read, it's going to feel like maybe the battle isn't over yet. Maybe the war isn't won yet. But John wants to remind us early on in the reading that, yes, the dragon is defeated. And he knows he's got just a little bit of time left. He's already been defeated three different times. One, he failed to devour Jesus Christ. Two, he, def- he failed to defeat the woman. And third, he was defeated in heaven by Michael the archangel and the rest of the heavenly host. He's been defeated three different times. It's the common theme around Satan. It is Satan's story, absolute and utter defeat. And what we learn in this picture, church, is that it is impossible to defeat God. It is impossible. God is all-powerful. He contains everything that is needed 
to bring you and I victory and hope. And Satan offers absolutely nothing. But here's the thing about dragons. They are sore losers. He is absolutely furious because he knows the cross. And he knows what Jesus Christ has done for us because of the cross. He knows and realizes he's lost. And so he's going to do everything within his power to take you and I with him. He's just got a small window of time to work with. Look at verse 12 in chapter 12. It says, The devil has come down to you in great anger, knowing that he has little time. And so what is Satan, the great dragon? What is he going to do with this little time? Well, he'll make war on the children of the woman. And who is that? Take a look at verse 17. The dragon was angry at the woman and declared war against the rest of her children. All who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony for Jesus. Did you hear that, church? The dragon is hunting you. You are the children of the woman. We, as the church, are being hunted by Satan himself. All of a sudden, we're reading this story, and as we read along, John reveals to you and to me that we're actually in the story. It was just words on on pages for a moment. But now, as we dig into the word, we realize we, too, are part of the story. He is after you. And I don't know about you, church, but for me, that makes me angry. Because I am bent on loving Jesus Christ. I want to be a part of what he has to offer me. And to think that Satan believes he can pull me away from my relationship with Jesus, he's got another thing coming. I don't know about you, but I love my risen Savior. And it makes me resolve to say, you're not getting me. I'm going to be with my risen Savior. But to really combat what Satan's doing in our culture and in our life, you and I have to be aware of what he's doing in the world. I mean, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, Satan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. And John is trying to make us aware of how Satan operates in the world in which we live. That you and I alone, standing alone, don't have a chance. But with God and the Holy Spirit within us, nothing can defeat us. Because God is all-powerful. Now, Satan is different than God. And, And here's how he works. Number one, we acknowledge that God is indeed all-powerful. He reigns supreme. There is no power above heaven, in heaven, under the earth that is stronger and more powerful than God Almighty. He is awesome. Satan on his best day. At best is JV. At best. So what Satan has to do is he has to leverage his limited power with some of the societal processes that exist in our world. Some of those cultural processes that exist in our world. He's going to do his best to impact God's creation through mechanisms in the world. He wants to create the most damage He can. And so in chapter 13, 
John reveals to us three of the different puppets, things, that Satan uses in the world. He's going to talk about two different beasts, and he's going to talk about a prostitute. And it's what Satan uses to bring down the world. Now, my Bible translates the Greek prostitute, but a more better translation would be whore. We don't use that word. We're offended by that word. But it's a better representation of what John is really revealing to the church. And so the beasts represent the political deception and power that exists in the world. Now, for that first century church, again, they would have totally understood exactly what John was talking about. They would have been able to understand that Rome is represented here as one of the beasts. It's one of the things that's controlling the world. And Satan is using the power of Rome to persecute Christians, to do some other things that are not in line with God's plan. And so in chapter 13, we see that the dragon summons the beast of the sea out. And he looks a whole lot like the dragon. Take a look in chapter 13, verses 3 and following. John says, I saw that one of the heads of the beast seemed wounded beyond recovery, but the fatal wound was healed. The whole world marveled at this miracle and gave allegiance to the beast. They worshipped the dragon for giving the beast such power, and they also worshipped the beast. Who is as great as the beast, they exclaimed, who is able to fight against him? And in most writing, most writers would acknowledge that Rome is the beast. And no, notice it says that culture, the world, worships the beast, gives allegiance to the beast. One of those false gods that are worshipped is Caesar himself. I mean, the beast represent this idea of false religion and the persecution of Christians. When persecution happens, you really look at Revelation a lot differently. We're kind of insulated here in America. We've got borders that kind of protect us, and maybe on some level we would say there's some Christian persecution going on. But once you step outside of America's borders, you see real persecution for folks who have said, I believe in Jesus. The people that live in North Africa... Christians that live in the Middle East, Christians that find themselves living in China would look at Revelation and say, this is happening to us right now. Persecution is real, but for some of us as Christians, we want to just remain comfortable. We want to turn away. We want to turn the channel and watch something different. And the beast would love nothing more than the church to look away. The church is our call as followers of Christ to say we're not going to stick our head in the sand. That at the very least I'm going to pray for my brothers and sisters who are being persecuted. And that Satan would be dethroned in their places where they live. But the enemy unleashes the beast on all of us who follow Jesus Christ. We are under attack. We are being hunted. And ultimately the The dragon would love nothing more than for Christians to put their hope in something else other than Jesus Christ. He would love to make it happen in such a way, create cultural pressure in such a way that 
I'm not sure that God can save me anymore, but maybe the government can, or a relationship, or my money, or the control I have in my life. He would love nothing more for us to put our hope in something beside Jesus Christ. Because see, it all comes down to the verse that we've already read in verse 4 of chapter 13, where it said, Culture, the world worshipped the beast. Because we all worship something. We all hold something in first place in our life, that thing that we believe will heal us or save us. And the dragon is absolutely consumed with getting your focus off Jesus Christ and having our focus lean into something totally different. His goal is to steal the glory of God, to take away the creation with him. He knows he's already condemned. But church, we never can confuse the idea that Jesus Christ is our hope. He is our hope. He is our salvation. We should attend to things around us that happen in culture, that happen in politics, that happen around the world. But our hope is in Jesus. Church, our mission here at Crosspoint is to be a light on the hill in this community. Our hope is that we would share that message of hope with all those around us who would listen. To take their eyes off of what the world offers and put their eyes on the only thing that Jesus Christ truly offers. And that is our hope. We want to be a church who reminds this community that they have a Savior in Jesus Christ. And that he will indeed make all things right. He's the only one that can bring true peace and joy and happiness, forgiveness, salvation, grace, and mercy to your life. Nothing else will suffice. And those first century Christians that John was writing to were a very obscure group of people. They had no bill of rights. They could not vote. They could not hold office, but you know what? As mighty as Rome was, it could not stand against the church. Nothing will hold back the church, which represents Jesus Christ in our country as well. Jesus himself said, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. Not even Satan himself has enough power to stop the Holy Spirit in a very focused church. And that is you and I this morning. The beast is no match for a church on mission. And we are on mission to let the world know that Jesus is our hope. He is our salvation. Right now at Crosspoint, our leadership team is going through a revisioning process. We're looking at our current vision and we're deciding, is this who God's called us to be? Is this what we need to be about? where we are right now in our culture. And so I want to ask you as a church to be praying for our leadership as they think through this visioning process. What do our mission points need to be? What's Sunday morning need to look like? How do, how do we go about affecting in positive ways the community in which we live? What does the world around us look like and how can we help it for the cause of Christ? Be in prayer for our leadership team. But we do know one of the dragon's favorite puppets is political power. And as Christians, I think we should be engaged in the political process. 
I'm not saying what side you need to be on, but we need to be aware of what's on the voting docket. We need to be aware of who is running for office. And if you feel called to be such a person, run for that political office. Because we need people who believe in Jesus in office. And church, our hope is not in a president, but it is in a risen Savior. Our hope is not in government legislating morality for us, but in Jesus Christ changing hearts. That's what we need to be about as God's people. And the enemy so desperately wants you to put your faith, your trust, your hope in something other than Jesus Christ. Maybe that is a government or a governmental program. Maybe that is your bank account, your career. It could be some physical relationship that you're involved in. And he really doesn't care as long as it's not on Jesus. He's trying to entice us to look somewhere else but Jesus Christ. This next text is in chapter 13, beginning in verse 16. It's been a much debated text over a long period of time and no doubt will continue to be so. But I want to remind us all that uh, all of Revelation is symbolic, including numbers. But let's begin reading in uh, verse 16. The beast required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead. And no one could buy or sell anything without that mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. Wisdom is needed here. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Now, if you remember the first week we were together, we talked about numerology and what numbers mean in Hebrew language and in Hebrew writing and in John's writing. We remember that the number three is the number of perfection. The number seven is the number for completion, come to fruition. So the number six is less than complete. It's an incomplete number, the number six. But you've got three of them together, which means perfection. What John is trying to let the church know and us today is that what the world has to offer is completely imperfect. That only Jesus provides perfection. Only looking at him and following him provides everything that we need in that God hole in our life. And so many of us, we are so longing for something different. We try to fill it with relationship or alcohol or politics or a bank account Whatever it might be, and we find it coming up short. That's because John is reminding us the only thing that truly fills us up is Jesus Christ. And so you and I are called by John to continue to follow him. Only God gives true, perfect completeness. And that's where we are in our journey. Our story goes on with John in chapter 17, where we're introduced to the second puppet, that uh, the dragon likes to use, and that's cultural seduction. The dragon really tries to get us sidetracked with what's going on out in culture in the world. That prostitute wants us to think that everything is great, that it's safe, when in fact it's absolutely terrifying. She wants us to believe that it is pure pleasure when in actuality what's in the cup is actually poison. So she's dressed beautifully, she's dressed ornately, scantily to try to make us look her way. 
And she's holding a golden cup for you to come and drink, encouraging us to take a drink of what she has to offer. And what's interesting is that we believe what we're missing at times is in the cup. If I just drink the cup, then I'll be satiated. I'll be fully alive again. I'll be filled. And what we don't realize is what's in the cup is actually poison. It's disgusting. It is nothing that is godly. And John tries to reveal that in chapter 17, beginning in verse 4. In the prostitute's hand, she held a gold goblet full of obscenities and the impurities of her immorality. A mysterious name was written on her forehead, Babylon the Great, mother of all prostitutes and obscenities in the world. And as I've already said, that, that Babylon word is a reference to Rome. And those first century Christians would have absolutely been clued in, plugged into what John was trying to reveal to them. What is in the cup, what culture offers, is poison. Not exactly what God would offer each and every one of us who offers us life. And she seduces the culture. She entices us by pulling us in, pretending that if we don't drink from the cup, then we're going to be missing out on life. But we're reminded by John that there's poison in the cup. Don't drink. That prostitute, she's really good at this sexual seduction, cultural seduction. She lures us in, and she's got some tools that she does use along the way. John lists those for us, the first one being in verse 2 of chapter 17. John says, The kings of the world have committed adultery with her, and the people who belong to this world have been made drunk by the wine of her immorality. The very first tool that she uses to get us to look away from Jesus is sexual pleasure. This idea that if we pour ourselves into a website or some physical relationship outside the bond of marriage, that, that for some reason that's going to fulfill us, that's going to solve all the problems. And she tries to lure us in to that particular idea with that particular tool. The second thing is found in chapter 18 and verse 7. She glorified herself and lived in luxury, so matched now with, tor with torment and sorrow. She boasted in her heart, I am queen on my throne. The second tool that she uses to seduce us is power and fame. I mean, who wouldn't want to be in control of their own life? Who wouldn't be, be able to make the, the call themselves on what they're going to do or not to do? Everybody wants power in your life or, or fame. Who, who doesn't want to be known? Who doesn't want to be popular? We all want to be known. And here's what Jesus tells us. Church, you're already known. You've been bought with a price. The king of kings already knows you by name. You have an identity. You have a purpose. You are known. Don't drink from the cup. You're part of my family, he says. And the third one is found beginning in verse 11 of chapter 18. The merchants of the world will weep and mourn for her, for there is no one left to buy their goods. She bought great quantities of gold, silver, jewels, and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, and scarlet cloth, things made of fragrant thyan wood, ivory goods, and objects made of expensive wood and bronze, iron, and marble. She also bought cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, 
wine, olive oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, chariots, and bodies, that is, human slaves. The fancy things you love so much are gone, they cried. All your luxuries and splendor are gone forever, never to be yours again. The merchants who became wealthy by selling her these things will stand at a distance, terrified by her great torment. They will weep and cry out. The third tool that she uses to seduce us is wealth and prosperity. It's this idea that if, if we can move to the top of the ladder, if we can change the nameplate on our door, and I'm willing to sacrifice anything to make that happen, that's what he lures us in, she lures us in with. The idea of having a healthy bank account, nothing in and of itself wrong with any of these things, but when we make it our God, when it's the thing that we worship, when nothing else matters but that, that's where there is the problem, church. And it turns out, that nothing's really changed in the world since 95 AD. The church in that first century were dealing with the same exact things that we deal with today. The dragon has not let up. Satan is still on the prowl, and he is looking for all of us who call ourselves children of God. All of us who follow the risen Savior. So what is the message for the church today? And it's found in chapter 18 and verse 4, where it says, Come away from her, my people. Do not take part in her sins, or you will be punished with her. John wants to remind the church, and that's us today. Church, don't be deceived by Satan. Whatever he is offering you does not even compare to what God has offered us. We are his people and the dragon has already been defeated, church. Jesus Christ has already won the war. And so we too, being kin to him, being his sons and daughters, we too have won the war. We've got to understand, church, that our hope is in Jesus Christ and nothing more. That the Lamb is indeed victorious. That you and I can celebrate today because what Jesus Christ has done for us. And there's no power on earth that can snatch you out of the hand of God. We are sons and daughters of the Most High King. God is awesome. And he is victorious. And so today we celebrate that very idea. As we call the praise team back to the stage at this time. We're going to sing a great song. And as we sing, I want you to consider where you're at on your journey right now. Because Satan is hunting. But know that you have a Savior who loves you. Who gave his life for you. And so he's beckoning you to come into his story. To stay away from the cup. To stay away from Satan. To stay away from what culture offers you. Knowing that only God can truly give us what we hope for. What we need. What we want in our life. And so as we sing this song, our shepherds and their wives will be gathered around this room. And maybe you've got a prayer on your heart. You, you need some encouragement along the way to overcome that temptation, to overcome a, a difficult relationship or something you're dealing with in life. I want to encourage you as we sing to go seek out one of our shepherds and let them pray for you and over you. But know this, church. We've already won the battle. Jesus Christ is victorious. And today he beckons you to come into his story so that he can indeed make all things new. Let's stand together.